Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Ken M. in the studio, and joining me this edition is not Padawan J. He's out on assignment, but fear not. We have a co-host that everybody here at 607 Podcast knows very, very well, and especially if you follow Nerd Initiative's Turn a Page. Coming at you live and direct, saying hello, hello, hello. It's me, Off the Cuff Tom, sitting in for the wonderful Padawan J. We hope he's doing the best assignment out there ever. I am in very big shoes to fill tonight, and I'm going to do my best. Absolutely. Appreciate you swinging by, Tom. And, of course. I, and Pad will be here for the sports edition this week, but he had something to come up. But fear not, folks. The show goes on here with the ODPH. And for everything that is movies, TV, comics, pro wrestling, and sports, swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com. And always remember to check out the hashtag ODPHpod on your social media because that is what we're talking about. And we have a big subject to talk about this week for this special edition of the entertainment show. And that is the return of the doctor. Doctor Who, that is. Yes. Which one? Well, that is a great question because it is the return of David Tennant in part two of the three-episode trilogy of his return, if you will. Mm -hmm. And him reprising the role now as the 14th Doctor, which is a little confusing because he was the 10th. Correct. So it definitely throws a little curveball into the mix, but fans are very excited to see him come back. They're excited to see the return of Doctor Who, and that's what we're going to be talking about here on the ODPH, the second edition of David Tennant's return entitled Wild Blue Yonder. Now, if anybody is new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We do appreciate it. Drop a five-star review on your favorite podcast player because it definitely helps the algorithm out. What we like to do is give a spoiler-free statement about the episode we're going to be discussing. Then we give you fair warning with a countdown that we are going to start talking spoilers so we don't ruin anything for you. So if you're kind of a little skeptical about should I listen, should I not, we give you fair warning when to duck out. We put it in the liner notes of the episode so you don't miss anything. So once after that countdown goes, it is fair game, so we do not hold back. So, Tom, that being said, give me your spoiler-free statement of Doctor Who, Wild Blue Yonder, the second episode of David Tennant's return. It's a different style of episode from Doctor Who that we haven't had in a long time. So it's refreshing for me. Honestly, it's it's refreshing. I really do think that um, it, it's a very polarizing episode. I think people can go one way or the other considering where they decided to go with this. I mean, we're only getting three, four, maybe an extra special because let's be honest, they'll probably slide something in with, with Tenet as the 14th. So to do an episode of this style, uh, I yeah. I, I, I like the twist. It definitely worked. I mean, obviously coming off the heels of the Star Beast, which was a great reintroduction to fans of both David Tennant and Catherine Tate, who plays the role of Donna, the Doctor's companion. Uh, reintroducing them to fans, I, definitely there was a nostalgia feel with that last episode. With this current one, though, I feel that it was pretty much a very safe episode. It didn't really go push any real boundaries. It started a little slow for me, but then it picked up steam at the end. Yeah, it kind of harkened back like to early. Well, he only had one season. So, you know, middle about nine, a little bit early on 10. Like, you know, the episodes, once you got the hooks in, that was it. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. Once he really kind of hooked everybody in, it really went some places. And that's the fun part about this, because we do know that there's only one episode left with David Tennant in that role before Shooty Gatwa takes over as the 15th Doctor. So we do know so we think. Well, that's the whole thing. We could be completely fooled and everybody is playing a nice ruse on us, if you will. Mm -hmm. But that's the fun of watching the show, because obviously with the Doctor being around for 60 years, being the time traveling figure that is just so charismatic and charming that wins up fans over generation after generation. You never know what the series is going to do. And that's part of its great charm. And that's one thing that I always love about it. And especially with whoever's playing the doctor really has fun with the role and really takes it some places as well. Yeah. They and, own, they own it. They make it their own and it just adds more. It's kind of hard sometimes to think about, it, especially with tenant coming back, reprising his role. First and foremost, we don't want a lot of, well, a lot of people want the 10th doctor, mm -hmm. but to finally know that in this episode, you know, you're going to find out some stuff that 
things happen. Did we do the spoiler thing yet? No. No, we didn't do the spoiler thing. So I can't do the spoiler thing. Stay tuned because we'll do the spoiler thing. So just I'm just putting it out there. You know what? Why don't we just get right into the spoiler thing right now so we don't want to hold anything back. So Tom, in three, two, one. Spoil away. It was a horror episode, and it was fantastic, and you didn't know who was who, and there was, like, these goopy aliens and everything. But it was all about, you know, the friendship and the love and the wonderful stuff that happened. But the best part that I really enjoyed is that going on what I was saying about Tennant, how I don't want Tennant, I don't want David Tennant's 10th Doctor to come back. There was I'm, I'm loving the actor. I love the actor. I think he, he cannot do any wrong. He takes He picks great roles, so on and so forth. I go on all day about him. Mm. But for... What he's trying to do with the 14th, because he's even confused. And I think that's confusion is what's giving me a nice change of pace for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing that, you know, what happened by the end of the episode with Donna having absorbed the, you know, the Metacrisis energy and everything that happened in the Starbeast, she understood everything that the Doctor, not necessarily David Tennant's or the 14th Doctor, 10 or 14, but she was downloaded also everything that happened with... Matt Smith, everything that happened with Capaldi, everything that happened with Jody uh, Whitaker. Jody Whitaker, thank you very much. Uh, so it was nice to honestly just have that re-download and then to get Donna's perspective on it. To you know, it, it just it it even built build on you know what we saw at the end of the Starbucks. Just come around for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely plays itself out, and that's one thing that has really re-energized me as a fan with it. But I felt they kind of just took their time with getting to the main points. And, yeah. and, and I'm not saying – I don't want to use the word filler because I don't think that that's fair. No, it's, it's not a filler. It was a slow burn. Yes, it was compared to where we saw everybody wind up when last episode Donna winds up, well, destroying the TARDIS a little bit with a little spilled coffee. Oh, don't even get me started. Like, I like the new TARDIS design. Don't get me wrong. And I really wish uh, Padawan J was here because I think we could go back and forth all day. We could probably do two whole episodes just on that one episode, uh, Doctor Who. I like the new design, but I wasn't, but I would have been completely okay that if, oh, cup of coffee, now we have a coffee palette TARDIS, you know? Mm-hmm. Go back to some earth tones, do something. Everything was on freaking fire, so... That would be fun, but again, Metacrisis energy and regeneration, so it's like, why build a new set? Exactly, because where this kicks off, the TARDIS is crashing in a very odd spot of the universe, if you will. It's on the edge. Yes. And obviously, knowing something is going on, the TARDIS is acting up. Then that's one thing that a lot of fans might be thrown off if you're just jumping in for the first time. The TARDIS is very sentient. Oh, yeah. Well, well, she's sexy. Yeah. I mean, you go back to that episode where Matt Smith and Karen Gil- and um, where the Doctor and Amy and Rory get sent off to the pocket dimension mm-hmm. where the TARDIS becomes sentient. So we understand and, and sexy comes out and it's wonderful. And I still refer to the TARDIS as sexy sometimes. Um, so I was thinking, oh, this is fantastic. This is great. But we've already kind of been here. And then it takes the hard right uh, that it's so far out of the universe to the edge of the universe that shit's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, creepy aliens that are far beyond the edge of the universe that are trying to mimic and understand what's going on to try and get a hold on on people that are in there. And I mean, even seeing the, the whole length of the ship, mm-hmm. right? If they really wanted to have a really good time with that, honest to goodness, you could have even brought back the whole idea with the Mondazi and Cyberman that they did with Bill. Yeah. Because I saw the length of that ship. I'm like, shit, Mondazi and Cyberman. You know, time displacement. I, I My mind always races when I'm watching Doctor Who because knowing, you know, Russell T and his writing, he's going to s- put that one tiny little stitch in that wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey fabric that's going to make you go, did he just make a reference to something? Which he does. Yeah, Davies is always great about doing that because especially where they start off too, they start off in the time of Isaac Newton. Mm-hmm. So to go from there to where the TARDIS is still acting up, Oh, yeah, and the maverity of the situation was unbelievable. Oh, yeah, to the fact that we had the domino butterfly effect of, you know, literally changing the vocabulary of the universe. We did get a nod back to the gravity of the situation later, so I was okay with that. It was it was fun to, to finally see a little bit more of a butterfly effect in Doctor Who because he's messed with time for 60 years, and now we finally saw a cause and effect. Yeah, which definitely played out. Like I say, it's a fun scene to begin with, but I, I hate to say it's forgettable, though. By the time you get going. Oh, yeah. It, it, it literally was a speed bump. Yeah. Because once the ship 
goes astray because it's sensing something's wrong. This is where the doctor starts trying to explore the ship with Donna and understands that, well, it's not exactly what they think it is because it's empty. But it is and it isn't. Ah, let's break that down. So the ship itself, uh, every once in a while, you hear a strange dialect that you don't understand because with the TARDIS not being around, it doesn't use the universal translator. Sorry, Star Trek reference. uh, That they don't understand what's going on. And then there's the robot, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, who is... His name should have been Fuse. Just saying. Um, That they don't understand. But every time this uh, thing... Says something, it is a countdown because the doctor, you know, finally gets up to the cockpit again of that extra long ship, which I would have liked to see in Bean Mondazian. The ship itself keeps changing into a freaking bomb. Yes. It's an interesting play how they set this up because what they're trying to do is with these inhabitants that are on the ship, they're taking the form of the doctor and Donna. And they're really kind of messing with both companions that are on the ship because. Everybody can't figure out what exactly is going on. So while our doctor, who even though we know he has been the doctor before, is still very new. Every time there's regeneration, there's still a little bit of that amnesic period. Mm -hmm. So he is still trying to piece together what's going on. And even though Donna has been awake and figuring out, okay, with the memories of everybody else, kind of like how Moira McTaggart is currently in the X-Men line. Okay. It's in that sense, though, they still haven't figured out exactly what is happening so thus, when they start seeing that there are copies or clones of them, which I mean is, I hate saying clones because that always just drives me nuts. But duplicates. Yes, duplicates works better because anytime I think clones, I think the clone saga from Spider-Man and we'll save that for another time. I'm brooding. Yes. But that's where I say you see them trying to make their way through the ship. So when they see the robot there, they can't understand what the language he's saying. But it, we do find out later it's a countdown. Mm-hmm. And we do see that once these creatures are trying to distract the doctor. They understand what they're trying to do, and that's essentially blow up the ship. Yep. Which is not going to help anybody out. So you do see this very long, drawn-out back and forth. Very. Which, I mean, I have to say, that was the one thing I didn't like about the episode because I felt they could have tightened it up a bit more. Oh, absolutely. And it, oh, go. Uh, the, the ideas of, you know, the ship being ablative, for lack of better words, that it was changing every single time that it did the countdown... Um, and finally meeting the, quote, captain who had sacrificed themselves and the big reveal that the only way that these uh, beings from the edge of the universe were able to finally form themselves completely is to learn how beings act, i.e. as the doctor and Donna were both running through scenarios and situations and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. They had some sort of psychic link to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean... How do we figure this out? What do we do? So they had to figure out a way to get around said thinking process. And that's where our buddy the robot comes in because he's so old school, good old gears and go. That mm-hmm. was it. He was the fuse. He was working his way down the ma- the center hall of the ship and going to finally be the button, the big, the, like th- literally the tropey big red button that goes boom. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting play how they set that up. Because especially once you see the Doctor and Donna get separated and they have to confront their companion, yeah, yeah. companion duplicates, that's where things I thought got really interesting, and especially when you start seeing the questioning that mm-hmm. is going on to. Because Donna was really pressing the fake Doctor about where he was from. Mm-hmm. And he kept saying, oh, you know, I'm from Gallifrey. No, you're not. I know you're not from there. Because of the download. Yep. So that's where that kind of tips that off. Meanwhile, our Doctor who is secluded away with the fake Donna, does the same thing about pressing about the memories that she retained and understands when the loophole is said. Mm -hmm. That throws everything out of the mix, which does cause them to lose their character very quickly. Yeah, it does. It was really nice. You know, we've seen too many times in science fiction, you always get the duplicate or the clone or the, you know, the episode, and it really does follow very certain and specific tropes. This was nice because it had that, quote-unquote horror element, you know, my arms are too big, my face is too big, my eyes are too big, whatever. Uh, and the the really cold tone of everything, but to put the level of their friendship on the line at the same time, instead of, well, he's not me, because if he was me, I would be saying that, and if I wasn't saying that, then he would be. Like, they went away from that, and that's what I enjoyed about this episode. Well, it's smart writing. It's extraordinary writing. Because it didn't seem like the typical whodunit. If you yeah. will. 
Like that was the one thing too, because especially yeah. who done it. Well, right, because when you're on a spaceship that they don't know, and that's the whole thing, when they crashed, they're left there because the TARDIS takes off. Oh, shit. So they're completely in a ship they don't know. So as they're trying to find it, the inhabitants, as they see the ship is empty, is really kind of a play of, okay, what are they going to do? But they know each other so well that they don't have to go down that typical road. Mm -hmm. And I think that does play into the smart writing about this, because once they find that they can trip up their opponents, if you will, that's when you see everybody break loose. That's where you see the fake Donna melt into a, a blob. Yep. And then you see the fake doctor try his be- uh, his best, you know, upside down spider walk, uh, much like the late Bray Wyatt did in, in pro wrestling. Yep. So like I say, when you see this happen, you see them just finally break until they're finally defeated. But at this point too, the doctor finally figures out what's going on mm-hmm. and understands, okay, the robot is like you touched upon the big red button to explode. Yep. He's the fuse. He's the fuse. So they do wind up going and stopping it before it really kind of takes off, if you will, mm-hmm. to a degree. But they do get a little help because it does trigger, though, an explosion. Oh, yeah. You want to break that down for us? Uh, it really went boom. And and the best part is, is so because the TARDIS went, oh, crap, and, like, left, it's because it sensed danger and because it was in, you know, it's it's like a crab or any type of crustacean or whatnot that, you know, molts. It's it's just shed its skin. So it went, huh, I got, nope, bad, bad day, bad day, and went away until it realized that it was going to be safe seconds before the ship goes boom, mm-hmm. you know, to have the doctor run onto the TARDIS and then Donna's trying to catch up behind and we still weren't sure which Donna we had. Right. Because once they're defeated, they're still going on the ship. And that's the one thing that our doctor figured out, mm-hmm. too. Because, like I said, he did stop the, the detonation, but then he decided, you know what, we have to destroy the ship. Yep. We have to take this out. So he was going on the blind faith that the TARDIS would come and save them because of the relationship he has had with the TARDIS for 60-plus years now. And luckily that kicks in because, as you see in the most Hollywood-esque moments the explosion happens. The flame is coming. You're seeing Donna getting chased by another Donna. And like you touched upon, we don't know who it is. Right. So until we finally see that moment, which they do let go because in the fake Donna, you do see fangs appear. Yep. And that was the tip-off that they had. We know, okay, then that's the fake one. And we see the real Donna get saved because the TARDIS opens up right before they take off, right before the flames take. Yep. It was the fangs because the TARDIS uh, scanned Donna and realized that it was literally off by 0.1% in the elbow. Yeah. Like fake Donna or doppelganger duplicate Donna was so tuned in, she almost solidified, realityified herself to being a full being. Mm-hmm. But the TARDIS said, nope, go save the real Donna. Yeah. And it definitely works into the whole relationship they all have, and especially with our Donna, as we have to define. Yes. The TARDIS knows who is real and who is not. Oh, yeah. Because they developed the relationship with the companion all while they're with the doctor. Mm -hmm. So they can kind of sense the DNA. They can sense their movements, their heartbeats, everything that goes with them. So if they know something is wrong, that's the one beauty of the TARDIS that really kind of gets slept on in this episode is how well they're connected to the companion, not just the doctor. That's a great way to look at it. I didn't think of that. Oh, absolutely. See, I was thinking at the extra part at that scene after they figured out the difference between the two Donnas and, let, you know, uh, escape uh, slide, by the way. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to say, what I really loved is the fact that something you didn't, you haven't seen from the doctor lately, he hugs his companion. He kissed uh, Donna on the head. Like, it, it's interesting. Like I said, as much as I don't want Tenet to be the 10th, I'm still okay, though, with, you know, breadcrumbs of his old character in the 14th. Well, the one thing that has been haunting these two episodes that we know eventually we're going to get a payout for is why the Doctor came back as the face of the 10th. Yeah, why why this face? And, you know, ever since we had Capaldi and we got the realization why he picked that face from the Pompeii episode, it's... I think it's going to have a really, really, really good payoff because the last time we saw uh, Toy Man, right, the, mm-hmm. the Toy Maker, was William Hartnell. So, I mean, that was 60 years ago, and obviously we're not going to get him back or the, even the actor who, you know, from Harry Potter who played the 
janitor, blah, 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 who played, you know, that adaptation of William Hartnell, we're not going to get that either. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a very good reason. And I hope the Russell T really writes it well. Don't, don't give me a throwaway line. Like they kind of crammed everything in, in the first episode. Give me, I want something solid and substantial for this third episode coming up. Well, I think they definitely know that because I fully think they're going to just obviously hand everything over to Shudigawa as soon as this episode's done, or for the third one, because I think they really want to hit the ground running with the new Doctor of the 15th and really let that character go. Mm-hmm. And especially for Tenet, it, you know, it's always cool to do the nostalgia to come back. And like we say, we are finding out, but once they start recapping their own questions of how they proved each other, that's how you kind of know that something is up about why this doctor has returned to this face. Yeah. And I, the early guess is he had so much guilt about Donna that he just couldn't let it go. Ooh. That he was sitting there just with everything that he's done over the years that he could not let go of the fact that he left Donna in this situation. Because you think about everybody else that's been a companion. I mean, you had the Tomorrow Girl get killed. Right. I mean, Rory and and uh, Amy, they disappeared. Yep. It's because they had to. Rose, enough said. Mm. So Donna was the only one for the- uh, Bill becoming the first Mondazian Cyberman. True. Like I say, so you start breaking down everybody. So I think this is the one he really had the most guilt for. Which, like I say, I might be stretching, but it's just kind of how you start looking at each doctor and how they connected with their companions. I don't know. See, now I'll, I'll flip this, and I think that Donna's been so important. The first ever uh, Time Lord human hybrid, um, the missing Earth, everything that has revolved around Donna has really, I think this is also going to wrap up her story as well, nice and neatly. Although, don't get me wrong, I did like how they ripped the Band-Aid and boom, and then made the segue over to Wilf. Yeah, let's talk about that because, I mean, that's how we wrap everything up because once the TARDIS flies away, it does land, and we do see an old friend return. Oh, Bernard, Bernard Cribbins. God God rest him, literally. Um, this is, uh, the, in fact, the last time we will ever actually see him on Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very, very worried that when they were talking about him in the first episode and then whether or not he did have the opportunity to film anything. So luckily in the extras to the first episode, they were six days out from their table read to the first day of filming. So I saw Bernard Cribbins there sitting at the tables like, okay, good. We're in the clear. We're going to see Wilf. Wilf is probably one of my favorite characters. He's the only companion that's never actually been on the TARDIS. Mm -hmm. And my only tiniest little morsel of complaint about Wilf being on because Wilf is perfect. I didn't get a salute. Well, I think they're saving it for the next episode. If he's in it, because like I said, the, yeah. he, this might be his last one he did. Right. We don't know. Uh, we don't know. But, you know, it just like, just like Donna said, it was guaranteed that if the mom wasn't there, Wilf was going to, you know, uh, take watch and wait to the damn ship sh- returns. And there he was. And I lit up just just because he's such, he he's Wilf. I know, it's Wilford Mott. I mean, Donna's grandfather is sitting there waiting for them to return. It's an emotional scene that comes back and really elevates this episode up a lot because you see this moment, everybody is get back, and it's an emotional moment. But as he's, we're having this heartwarming you know, segue, the world around them is going up in flames, literally. Mm-hmm. Like you're just seeing everybody riot in the streets. You're seeing explosions. You're seeing the worst of humanity pour out. Oh, yeah. So, and the doctor is like, what was going on? And you see Wolf say, you need to save us, doctor. Yep. And that's how the show ends. Mm -hmm. So that's why I say, like, it's going to be interesting to see how they tie up everything going into the third episode, which is entitled The Giggle. And we do know that Neil Patrick Harris is going to be on that. Yes. So that is going to be a fun moment to see how this all kind of shapes up. Do you want to guess here? Do you think they're going to do an extended episode for this? Yes. I think we'll get, we'll we'll get a bonus of something. Yeah, because it's it's right now they're the last two have been sitting about sixty minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if we get seventy four, eighty two out of it, because I think there's just so much stuff that they just got to jam pack in. I mean, NPH has probably got to get his time to shine. One mm. and two, just the storyline of both Donna and the Doctor. We got to wrap them up and we got to do it well. Right, and and there will be an emotional payoff, or you know, 
there will be the, the, the crying moment. I am ready for it. I have my Kleenex already sitting next to my chair. Oh, it's, it's going to happen. Like, there's going to be so much emotion going into that. Like I say, depending on how, you know, they filmed everything all together, like I say, to see Wilfred Mott, you know, for the last time on that episode, that's going to be an emotional one. Like, it was at, the, at this point, too. It was like, it just hits you just so much in, in the heart. And then to see, like, this is going to be the last time, arguably, we see, you know, the Doctor and Donna together. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, something really crazy happens down the road. But I, w- this, I but, wouldn't be surprised if we get Rose at some point. Yeah, you know, maybe. And now is that pandering or is that... And I'm not going to say fan service. I will flat out say pandering. I See, I think it, it's kind of like the Uncle Ben moment. Like, you can't, you can't do it. Okay. Like, you have to let it go. Like, it's, it's a moment in time as much as, like, that would change history. You can't touch that moment. And I think that you, I don't think we get a rose one. I mean, Donna's rose mm. as a companion in the long run. I mean, maybe, maybe I don't, I'm not saying Billy Piper. She's, okay. she's in the other dimension. Yeah. She that's, that's what, there. that's what no, I'm no, saying. No, no, okay. No. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm talking pandering as far as, oh, wow. Cool. Oh, Donna's got a kid who was part, one third time Lord. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. Um, I'll say maybe like I, I, I don't think there, I don't think we're going to get that though. I know. I, Again, we'll see where they go. Right. Like I say, so far, I mean, they've had two solid episodes. I think mm-hmm. we, we can agree on that. This one, though, was very slow starting. And that's why I say we didn't really do a, a full, like, deep dive into it because there really wasn't. wasn't. There was 20 minutes of... Yeah, it's kind of like, where do we go? Where do we go? What do we do? Oh, oh it's, it's a big ship. The lights are green. The yeah. lights are blue. The lights are red. Yeah. And, and like, it, even it was so much... My arms are too big. It was so much done like the TARDIS, too. Like, that was the one thing with the color scheme inside a little bit. Oh, yeah. Like I say, that was a little confusing to start with. I think what was nice is, and probably save them on set design, think about it, uh, TNG, you know, Star Trek, they only had like four hallways and they just keep shooting them different directions. Mm-hmm. So they probably did the same thing with this one. Yeah, which I mean, it makes sense. But especially to going into that, the final episode of this, I think everything is really raised up a bit. I mean, obviously knowing who's involved, knowing where we are and knowing where we're heading. I think the first episode gave us the yay we're back happy happy and what and the second episode gave us the emotional they got our the emotional hooks back into us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a totally different emotion that we got from episode 1 to episode 2. So when we get the payoff or the resolution or whatever word you want to use at, for episode 3, it's going to smooth out everything and put a cherry right on top. A blue Tardis cherry on top. I hope so cuz you know what I don't I have full faith that they're going to nail this one. I think this is going to be one of the more memorable Doctor Who episodes of all time. No hey, pun yeah. intended. I mean, I we we could do a whole top 10 on Nerd Initiative of top 10 episodes, but that's an idea. I think you are going to be championing that, my friend. <laughs> I'm putting that out there right now. And we'll have to see where everybody ranks the giggle when it comes out, but in the meantime though, final thoughts on the on the the Wild Blue Yonder. I'm getting my words mixed up cuz I'm going to just so fired up about it refreshingly different slow but reflect refreshingly different yeah i have to agree with you i mean it definitely started out a little slow but once it really kicked in and you had that horror element like you touched upon it really went some places i just think it just it took so long to get there like it took me out of it for a little bit agreed and that's why i say like it really Felt like a Doctor Who episode by the time we got to the last 15 minutes of the episode. Mm-hmm. Just that whole beginning, it was like, ugh. And like I say, when I'm sitting there trying to put the words together for it, it's like it's tough to really give it like a high grade, but it was a solid episode. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a so- – it's like the eighth Doctor. Yeah. You only need a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. You know, we only got him what? three times on screen technically so that that that's where this episode ranks it's right there definitely have to agree with you about that <laughs> but in the meantime though hit us up on that hashtag hashtag odpagepod what is your thoughts of the latest doctor who 60th anniversary special entitled wild blue yonder and where do you think we're heading to the final of the david Tennant trilogy entitled the giggle mph but- Let's talk about it, shall we? But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, guys. This is Macaroom. I'm the writer of Inferno Go Red, and you're listening to the ODPH Podcast. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast with Tom Craven in the studio. And we have to talk about 
arguably the biggest star at the box office this weekend. <laughs> it was kaiju-sized. Exactly. And who was that, to be specific, Tom? Godzilla. Yes. Godzilla has made a triumphant return to the box office. This week made $11 million for Godzilla Minus One, which debuted domestically here in the United States. And the spoiler-free review for it, it's fantastic. It is excellent. It is everything that you love about Godzilla. It definitely was a kind of a nice homage to the first Godzilla movie, Godzilla 54, which we saw at the Japan Society over New York Comic Con weekend. I was going to say that was amazing. And thank you so much again to them for having us out there and even inviting us back to go see the uh, the other, the actual minus one. Unfortunately, we didn't have a chance to get down there. Yeah. But that was just amazing on them to be to offer that to us. Um, I can we can finally say because we can talk about it. When you we saw the 35 millimeter version and we saw the trailer to see the shot for shot scenes, you know, almost 70 years apart, it really does show that great movies don't die. They right. just get done better. Right. And that's where you had with this movie, too. Like I say, it captured a lot of the essence of the first film. And it was something that really resonated throughout. Like it really felt like a Godzilla movie. Like almost like a perfect origin story mm-hmm. to a degree without really giving anything away. It is absolutely fantastic. Like the reviews, if everybody has been talking about the high praise, definitely deserve it. And this is going to be the building blocks for wherever they want to go with this next phase of Godzilla because it just really just was so phenomenal from the CGI, which I recommend if you get a chance to watch it in IMAX, go watch it in IMAX. Like this is a movie you definitely need to. And everything involving how... He was not exactly the heroic monster that he has been over the past few years, if you will. He had to start somewhere. Exactly. Like, this is the origin of his villain story, and it works out very well. And just for what he does in 1945 Japan, and as it progresses on for the the couple years, like, you really walk through his reign of existence and just how everybody is hell-bent about stopping him. There's, you know, emotions behind it. It definitely ends on a strong note, and I am very, very excited to see where they're going from here. I have to also credit Ken real quick. Uh, I have a, a, a thing called Real Life, so I have not been had the opportunity to go see the film. So uh, kudos to Ken for doing a spoiler-free review with me here. Uh, so thank you, Ken. Oh, no problem. I mean, obviously, if you want to hear a deeper dive, I believe 3FN is going to be talking about it on this week's podcast, so you definitely want to keep an eye out for that oh, yeah. on your favorite podcatcher. If not, just hit up Rich, and I'm, I'm sure they can hook something up for you. Now, you mentioned this whole Godzilla universe, okay? Mm-hmm. So we do have two parallel Godzilla things going on right now. Correct. So we have everything that's going through Toho, the original Godzilla, mm-hmm. but we also have a legendary MonsterVerse going on right now. Do, is it the MonsterVerse? Can we call it the MonsterVerse? I think Because I remember we were talking, you know, years ago they were doing the Universal MonsterVerse. So mm-hmm. Does that count or not? I think it does because if you take a look at what's going on right now in the comics. Okay. And there is a fantastic series written by Brian Busolato, who you know from Midlife, No One. He is heading up the Justice League vs. Godzilla vs. Kong series for DC Comics. It is excellent. And it is referred to as the MonsterVerse there. Okay. So I am going with that. If you need something to go pick up in the comic shops, definitely run down and go find the series. Can we just crowbar it right there and just call it the Monarch verse? Considering you know everything is tied in with Monarch, whether it's the Apple TV series and the stuff on the big screen. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. But the one thing that you have to be excited about if you're a Godzilla fan, and this is kind of where we're leading to, is there's a lot of new properties coming out involving one of the most legendary monsters of pop culture. And you think about in this day and age, too, for where we started in the 50s mm-hmm. to now where how many years passed? 70? Oh, yeah. And we're still exciting a new fan base. We're still presenting the legendary monster in a different light. And whether it's the Apple TV show, which you haven't checked out, Monster Monarch, Legend, you know, Legacy of Monsters, mm-hmm. it's amazing. 1954. Yes. And to think about you have that, you have the comic going on right now. And then we have another movie coming out involving his best frenemy, if you will. I that, think I, that's a good one. I like that. That's a fair way to say it because when you talk about Hollywood monsters, one of the most legendary ones of all time is King Kong. And coming off the heels of the 2021 film Godzilla vs. Kong, we have a sequel of sorts that is going to take that story even further, dropping next year. 
And this week we were gifted the first trailer for it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do a little deep dive in on that. So much like we do for anything else, we're going to give you our spoiler-free take, then give you that countdown and dive right in. So Tom, what is your spoiler-free take on the trailer for Godzilla and Kong, the new empire dropping in 2024? It's pretty. It's really pretty. Like uh, CGI is just getting so good. Like you wouldn't, it's pretty. Like I just, you're right. Like I should go see minus one in IMAX. I absolutely want to see this one in IMAX. Oh, you absolutely have to. Yeah. I I think anytime that you can get these figures on a platform like a movie, like TV, the bigger the screen, the better. Oh yeah. Because you just have to really have that experience. You need the scale. You yeah. absolutely need the yeah. scale. Even though Monarch Legacy of Monsters on Apple TV is doing it right now, and I know we're going to be talking about that in a future ODPH episode. On the big screen, though, to watch it in that kind of surrounding, it just amplifies that experience so much more. And it doesn't take anything away from going to your local movie theaters by any stretch, but if you get the chance to do it, this is why you go see these movies. And that's why I say I left this going, okay, there's a lot going on here. I'm not sure how we're going to tie everything together, but I like what I saw because I think you have to come to a point where eventually, sure, they're going to fight again. It's what they do. It's much like in the comics with the Hulk and the Thing. You know, you have those moments where, yeah, they can team up, but eventually they always wind up fighting for reasons. This is the kind of same vibe right here, except I think there's a common enemy that we haven't seen yet. Brand new one. A brand new one, though. That's what the vibe is. And I like what I'm seeing coming out of this trailer. I mean, we've heard about Titans before in the in the first Godzilla film, mm-hmm. right? And they keep tying to the Titans and yes. Titans and Titans and Titans. And the fact that, you know, even still after all these years and all the kaiju or all the Titans or whatever term you want to give them, they're still inventing new ones. Mm-hmm. But they still have a feeling. They evoke that vibe that... This is where they need to be. They they're right where they need to be. Look, Mechagodzilla, Space Ghidorah, and all that—that's cool and all. But again, that's human. That's space. What they're doing right now in the Monarch Verse is they're making it all inclusive to where they are specifically, and I think that's what really it makes it more real to me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, it definitely does. You want that realistic vibe, even though I mean, obviously, we're talking about kaiju monsters and yeah you know, legendary destructive forces. So like it, I say, it's the difference between the, the now Kong versus the Jack Black Kong. Yes. Oh, completely. You, it, like, see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's where we get into this trailer. So let's get into that spoiler talk. Three, two, one. All right, Tom, talk to me. This really kicks off in such a strong way too. Yeah. With strong colors. Yes. Because obviously you see the Geiger counter going, And we have the kind of narrative as it appears they're flying over Skull Island. At least that's the way I took it. But it could be somewhere else because they do jump around to the Egyptian pyramids. Pyramids of Giza, yep. Yes, which you do have the narration about we only believe that life can only exist. And you see this great shot of rumbling happening. And they're trying to tie back the Geiger counter to it. You do see a lot of sand flying up. There's an energy bursting from the desert. And then you see a hand shoot up. Big old gorilla paw. But there's something to this that, I mean, I'll give you credit for. You called this first. Mm-hmm. What is on that hand? Uh, big gorilla paw. So eventually you'll get a better shot of this. But if you notice, and we're just going to safely assume that this is Kong because you'll it'll circle back at the end. Kong's hand has almost like a, a cast or construction equipment or something on there. This is going to be a theory I have. Kong is finally starting to learn to be okay with humans. We know that he was worshipped by humans in the past, mm-hmm. so I think that now he understands what humans are more like in the modern day. I have a feeling he's going to get his ass whooped, mm-hmm. busted up arm, and the humans that are in this film, of which we have two returning cast coming from the orig- from the last film, they're going to use construction equipment and make him a cyber cast or something. That's just my call. It's the Infinity Gauntlet. It all is together. I'm telling you, no, it is a it's it's a gauntlet of some sort, and I think they're giving him some extra weaponry. Or he did break his hand in a fight with somebody. I, I'm gonna go with the fight. 
but again, you you make a really good point considering he does know how to use basic weapons. You'll mm -hmm. see later in the trailer, he has an axe. He's used sticks and whatnot before in the last film as well. Yes. Then we see this amazing uh, center earth, Jules Verne-esque feeling, you know, two separate landscapes that are right on top of each other, which makes complete sense if this is a center to the earth idea. Because um, where would these Titans survive? Let's be honest. They can't live on on the planet's surface. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen uh, that, yes, Kong was able to get away with living on Skull, Skull Island, right? Uh, but Godzilla, where did he go to recharge? He went down into the depths of the ocean back to that ancient civilization to get his recharge in the last film. Mm -hmm. So where's the only place to go but down? Right. So it appears that there's the world in the center of the Earth again. Back to prehistoric times, it does look like there's some pterodactyls flying or something in that variation. It's a very vivid scene that's going on, and then you see the full-blown shot of Kong jumping over the mountains and running towards something. And at this point, too, you are seeing a spaceship of sorts fly at them, and then you get a group shot of the three main human actors in this. Rebecca Hall playing Eileen Andrews again uh, from Kong vs. Uh, Godzilla. You see Dan Stevens making his appearance as Trapper. Is that kind of funny because he was the Beast and now he's in a Beast movie? It is a little crazy <laughs> like that, but it plays out. And Brian Tyree Henry is reprising his role as Bernie Hayes as well. So you get you get that great group shot of them as they're now investing into this world and kind of seeing what is going on. You see then they cut away to Kong, who is with weapon in hand, staring at a shadowy figure. Oh, a huge silhouette. Yes. And then we see that that figure emerges, and Tom, who do we see? Baby Titan Monkey. Yeah, it it's, appears to be a baby Kong, if you will. Yeah, but not because it looks like a different species of ape, of mm -hmm. great ape, so we're, uh, we'll go with that, which I have a, a theory on that, but we'll talk about that later in the trailer because we you'll see where I'm going with this. Right. And then you get more shots of just everybody kind of staring around the the center of the earth. And they're all saying that there's been some destruction here, but it's not Kong. No, because if you look at the shape of the big, huge blood stain that you'll see on the cliffside, because it's huge, like bigger than Kong, huge. Mm -hmm. You can definitely tell, you know, the difference in the great apes that this has very elongated fingers yes. versus, you know, Kong's paws, for lack of better terms. Mm -hmm. So then you see Kong, though, descend into what can be the only the depths of the center of the earth. Yeah, like a crystal cavern, which is in stunning pastels and shades and stone, but then the light emanating off of it, you get some really screwed up uh, large, you know, bestial skulls. Yes. It's a really morbid scene that you see play out because then they do take you to a shot of where you're seeing a lot of, of residents of center earth inhabiting is it or is it a flashback well let's talk about that again it's like we said in the last film godzilla went back down under the ocean to the ancient civilization to recharge is this then you know from when there or are they now because the next scene we see this huge large red ape who is breathing heavily mm -hmm. <laughs> which is great because his uh pitch and tone and breathing matches the seismometer in the beginning of the in the beginning of the trailer so it's a great scary through line yeah so it does kind of tie back that we assume that that's going to be the big bad of this film mm -hmm. and then you see another shot of kong running and jumping from cliff to another cliff and then you see a mysterious figure and it appears that our lead actors have now wound up in an ancient civilization and the one thing that I want to kind of harken back to is you see this certain pink light shooting around these artifacts, yeah. kind of like in a Stonehenge type deal. And we're not exactly sure what is going on here, but you are seeing that there's just energy pulsating through. Then you get a shot to what appears to be somewhere in Europe. Yeah, it definitely has a European vibe. And there is a claw that yep. drops right in the middle of the street. And it's kind of interesting to see what this is exactly because it does look like a crab claw from first glance. But it could be anything. I mean, it could be a Godzilla scale, too. Possibly. Yeah, there's only... I did a little bit of research and found that there's only ever been one 
uh, crustacean-like kaiju. So whether or not that's coming back or if they're doing a deep cut, I think either way, the more kaiju, the better. Mm -hmm. And then you see a figure that is climbing up the staircase on this temple and touching pink light. And the narration is saying Kong won't be able to do this uh, by himself. And you hear another voice say he won't be alone. He won't be alone. And then it takes a shot to somewhere underneath the earth where it appears this pink energy is now fueling a certain scaled individual that is notorious for blue radiation. Hmm. Yeah. So you do see that somebody is getting awakened from their slumber or, you know, suspended animation, if you will, busting through the snow and is the one and only king of all monsters, Godzilla, who is lit up pink. And I know this kind of caused a little fury on the internet. If you're understanding how they're powering him, and if it's something from these ancient artifacts, it does explain the pink color. It makes sense, but it's still... You don't take the green lantern and make him yellow. You, you don't take the blue Godzilla and make him pink. Yeah, you do. I mean, they do. They did that for, you know, a they, lot they, of... The, be quiet, comment. <laughs> I'm just saying, just prove Reasons. Reasons, indeed. <laughs> but then we do see... A little somebody sitting on top of a throne. We do see the red Kong figure, anti Kong, anti Kong, if you will, roaring at the at the, you know some of the civilization that's in the and center I, of the earth. I like that he has a bandolero made out of uh, Bones. spines. Yeah, it's spines. It's it's a very intimidating scene that you see play out, and then you see that this creature has now made it to the surface. And is just towering over inhabitants at a beach. And we don't know where that is. That's the best part. It could be Tokyo. It could be San Juataneo. It could be anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. It's a great shot. And then you see Godzilla powering up. Kong is roaring. They're unleashing their fury. And then you see them running away from something in another scene. But this is where you see Kong has the cast on his hand. And that's all we know. And then it flashes to the tagline. Godzilla and Kong, the new empire. And really, like I say, then you get a, a parting shot of somebody saying, oh, is this a mini Kong? And you see that character pounding their chest, mm -hmm. much like the real King Kong. And that's how it ends. So there is a lot that is going on with this film, but they haven't given a, enough away. And if they did give too much away, I hope they gave away first act only. Mm -hmm. First act, maybe get a little bit of second act. Yes. Don't give me anything from the resolution. Um, I think that the this little baby Kong, uh, my thoughts on that are Toho probably said to Legacy that you do not have the rights to Godzuki. Mm -hmm. Okay, for those of you who remember who Godzuki is or know who Godzuki is. So what did us Americans do? It's like, oh, well, we like Kong. We like the apes. Let's make a baby version. Why toys? It works. So. And the actress that is yelling to baby Kong is Kaylee Hotel, who's playing Jaya. Okay. So... Very interesting to see how they're going to tie all this together. But, I mean, my takeaway, this looks great. Oh, yeah. I, I, without a doubt, I'm going to see it. Oh, yeah, no. But I think for where they're going to go with are, the story. Are we getting a whole row again? <laughs> uh, it's possible. It's possible. I think there's going to be a lot of invested parties for this. But I think overall for what we saw, they definitely are expanding the monster verse out, the monarch verse, And they're definitely going to run with it some places. I'm not exactly sure where we're going storyline-wise yet, but I think you're going to see the frenemies team up. Obviously, there's a threat bigger than both of them, and that's going to be fun to see play out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let, let's go with that. Hashtag Monarchverse. I like that. Definitely. Final thoughts on the trailer? Pink. I'm tickled pink. As you should be. <laughs> The film is slated to drop in 2024. In the meantime, hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts of Godzilla and Kong, The New Empire? Do you dig the trailer? Do you not? And let's talk about it. Also, what are your th thoughts about the Apple TV show? Definitely like to talk to some fans about that. And Godzilla Minus One. A lot of positive buzz coming back from that. If you caught it this weekend, definitely let's talk about it on that hashtag. Until then, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Snyder, and you better listen to the ODPH podcast, or I'm coming for you, and Batman is coming for you. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast with Tom Craven, and I know he's got something for one-shots. Tom, the floor is yours. I have a huge off-the-cuff statement here right now. So uh, right now, Boom Studios is doing no wrong. We've got Ranger Academy. Mm. We've got Missy Flores just doing an amazing job over on the, on the street, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers run. But there's a new Kickstarter that came out a few uh, while ago that 
Boom is going to have a guest writer mm-hmm. of Amy Jo Johnson coming in, and she's going to write Mighty Morphin Power Rangers The Return. Mm-hmm. This whole Kickstarter was funded in 45 minutes. All right? Wow. 45 minutes. All they needed was 50 grand. Do you know what they're up to right now? No. $472,000. This is almost a half a million dollars for a comic book. Good for Not them. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And good, yeah. good for them. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like this is a cash grab. I know for a fact if you put anything with the original three seasons of Power Rangers in print on a toy or whatnot, it will sell. Mm-hmm. Okay? I just don't – I think that there was some sort of – the money's getting cut somewhere, and I don't think it's going the way that I would prefer it to go. Just your opinion on that. That is my complete, full opinion. Don't get me wrong. I love you guys over at Boom. That's why I do all these comic book reviews, and I love my Power Rangers. But – that's just how I feel about it. Mm. And, you know, after the last time when they did the hardcover Kickstarter, mm. right? Okay. It was, it literally was a flash in the pan. You know, that's some other things that I think about the Kickstarters and comic books. Like, okay, poof, all right, we did it. Great, cool, done, funded. Here, here's your book. Now we're waiting for the next one. You know, what's the next shoe that's going to drop with, with this? Uh, Power Ranger stuff for the next Kickstarter. Well, you know, it, it's a great debate in comics right now about when you have high profile creators doing Kickstarters. And I know that there was a lot of, you know, polarizing opinions. Uh, yes, you know, thank you. Yeah, I think. And, I'll say it. And, you know, and that's, and that's fair to say. It, like, for me, I'm not bothered by it because if you're going to bring fans to the medium and you're in that kind of celebrity status, mm-hmm. then by all means. I understand where you can say it does come off, you know, like, you know, a fast grab. If you will. It also feels a little bit, sometimes a little too late because Amy Jo Johnson, you only have caught more recently getting back into the fandoms. She tried going very hard on being an artist and being a creator. She's a fantastic director. Do mm-hmm. not get me wrong. You watch sure. some of her Superman and Lois episodes. They're oh, absolutely uh, amazing. amazing. Yeah. You know, and just to see the name on the end, like, oh, wait, that was Kimberly Hart. But again, just I just think you're just coming back and padding out your wallet. I mean, and that's your opinion. That's fair. Like I say, I don't get too upset by it. But like I say, I come from the perspective of if this will get more eyes to check out comics, then I'm all for it. I will agree with that. I will. Like I say, I will say that because I know firsthand that a few people I know personally came in because of Keanu Reeves Berserker. Yep. That would not have picked up a comic otherwise. Whoa. But literally did, and then they started picking up a couple issues here and there. Not saying they have a pull list and, you know, they're dropping X amount of money a month, but it got them into the shops. Yep. It got them to come and check the medium out. So for that, I will always be here in defense. Mm-hmm. But I can understand the point, too. But it's just, like I say, it's it just depends on the opinion you want to go with for it. Yep. And that's why I say, like, for me, it doesn't bother me because that's where I say, if, if it ultimately leads to somebody walking into a comic shop, and buying books and getting hooked, go right ahead. But I could see the point too, especially I know your connection with the Power Rangers medium, how that would come across for you. And like yep. I said, you're entitled to your opinion. Indeed. So we'll definitely leave with that. And definitely feel free to have that hashtag pod conversation with Tom about that. His link is in the liner notes. I'm sure he'll be more than happy to debate anybody about that. Bring it. Absolutely. Speaking of comics, though, before we get out of here, it's a big week at the shops. Holy smokes. Tom, what are you picking up this week? Oh, it's obvious. Ranger Academy issue three. Uh, it's going to have you seeing green. Ooh. Ooh. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's not easy. Copyright. Yeah. You know, that's the stuff they're doing, although, like you said, with Boom, like top-notch Ooh. stuff, and especially the Darkest Hour with Melissa Flores uh, writing. Just f- I wish it wasn't a once-a-month book, but I know she's got so many projects going on right now. I'm literally on the edge of my seat, physically, too, waiting for that next issue for Missy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, phenomenal work there. Uh, Boom's got a big week coming out, too. Image Comics has a monster one as well. Transformers number three is coming out from Skybound Entertainment. So if you haven't been checking that series out, you definitely want to make sure you're picking that one up. Bumblebee's still dead. Yep, and he is not coming back. We all need to accept this, folks. It, it, it's going to be that case. Never. On the Marvel side of things, Thunderbolts, number one, Hive Mind writing, Geraldo Borges drawing. Take my money. I, I don't need much motivation. Nope. 
And if you want to even hear about a bigger dive about that nerd initiative, turn a page this week, we're actually diving into the origin of the Thunderbolts. Indeed. So that's going to be a very, very fun episode for you to check out on Nerd Initiative YouTube and in podcast form later. Also from DC Comics this week, a lot of cool stuff coming out from them. Batman, Santa Claus, Silent Night number one. The team up you didn't think was going to happen, but yet it did. Elmer Fudd got there first. Yeah, but it, this is a great thing for the holiday season. Jeff Parker, Michelle Bandini is behind the book. Uh, listen, this is just a fun read. So if you really want something very cool for the holiday season, go pick this up. Uh, kicking off a very cool story. Love the Dan Mora uh, cover. I mean, it's Dan Mora. I mean, it's, it's Dan Mora, and it really gives you that. It, the way he hit with his drawing really made you feel very close to like late 90s Superman, mm-hmm. you know, with the, just the nice chiseled face, the high cheekbones, the really good hair. Yeah, I mean, if you want to see more of that, Batman Superman, World's Finest with him and Mark Wade. Oh, yeah. Arguably the best book, uh, superhero book on the market, bar none. It, it's debatable, though. There's a lot of great other competition out there, such as Birds of Prey number four, Kelly Thompson, Leonardo Romero. So this story has definitely been picking up some steam. Uh, Black Canary's uh, search and rescue mission has ran into a roadblock literally known as Wonder Woman. And <laughs> it, we go some places uh, for this issue is definitely just the, I love the cover and the series has really hit the ground running, especially for me being an old school image comics fan. I love seeing Zealot as a featured member of this team. I think Kelly Thompson is doing amazing things with this squad. And, and again, even the cover, you it's got that 1980s, you know, late, what would that be? So it's like a, it's like a Kirby-esque kind of vibe yeah, to it. Yeah, very much so. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing a little speckles in there, you know? Yeah, definitely not. Uh, also, DC, again, like I said, strong week from them. Batman 140. So this is the second part of Mind Bomb. So Chip Zdarsky, Jorge Jimenez, this is their Joker story. This is going some places. And like I say, if you've been reading Batman since Night Terrors, they're definitely going some places with the characters. I know some people really love it. I know some people were really kind of like, I don't know what I feel about this. I think this is a very, very strong story thus far. And I think fans are really going to be excited to check this out and where they're going with it into the, the final part of it, uh, where I think they're going next month. I think expect to have your minds blown period. And I think that's appropriate title for the book as well. Uh, last on my list is Comixology's Nice Jewish Boys, Neil Clyde, John Brolia. Uh, this is a very cool crime story. It's getting more deeper. And the, where they go with the characters, like this, this has been such a fun read. Uh, I love this kind of like cool Sopranos-esque style of just you know true crime. And where they're running with it, I think, is is just been absolutely lights out. So definitely make sure to check that out on Comixology Originals, which you'll have to go to the Kindle app for now. Yeah, messed me all up today. Yeah, Comixology app is no longer in service, so you have to go to Kindle on Amazon to go get this. But definitely make sure you pick it up. And make sure to go hit your local comic shops up this week. If you need more recommendations, nerdinitiative.com. Every Wednesday starting at 9 a.m., we have a loaded lineup of reviews this week. So definitely make sure you set your feeds for that to go there. ODPHpodcast.com is going to have reviews up too as well. So we make sure that you are taken care of. And like we always say when it's New Comic Book Day, make sure to go hit up your local comic shops wherever you are and make sure to pay up your pull list this holiday season. Tom, thank you for stopping by the show. Why don't you tell everybody how to find you and everything going on with Off the Cuff? You can find me in the liner notes, and you can absolutely find me every single Tuesday, well, relatively 99.9%, every single Tuesday night here on the Nerd Initiative with Ken right here in the ODPH studio on that wonderful folding chair doing Turn a Page. Absolutely. And for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for Tom Craven, my name is Ken M., Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parley Hour. We will see you next time. Bye. It's such wasted time, swiping left and swiping right on people you could know. Anyone who's worth a damn be worth way more than a picture could ever show You can find the right light, find the right angle And never find your soul 
feel like a losing battle And this plot is full of holes This modern way of finding love Just makes me feel so alone And I can't be the only one Sick of staring at my phone So look up Everyone has just one true love All I know is you're across this table And you're all I'm thinking of So look up, talk to me A better way to spend our energy Just look up, talk to me Swiping left and swiping right on people you could know.